Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Women Tech Charge. Subscribe and rate wherever you get your podcasts. Three, two, one. Zero. Ignition. Lift off. All right, looks beautiful from here, Neil. It has a stark beauty all its own. It's uh, like much of the high desert of uh, the United States. Welcome to Women Tech Charge. My name is Amory Imafadon and I am your host. And today I'm joined by an intergalactic guest. She's not an alien, I think. Yeah, intergalactic suggests that she might be an alien. She's not an alien. She's worked intergalactically. (laughs) (laughs) And her name is Rocket Woman, but her mum calls her Vanita Mawaha Medill. The 2013 NASA astronaut class was actually 50% male, 50% female, which is really great. I printed out the NASA astronaut guidelines and I glued these to to the inside cover of my secondary school folder. They said you needed a degree in biology, physics, maths. I worked on the European Robotic Arm and that's a new robotic arm that's going to be launched to the space station next year, which is really exciting. Welcome, Rocket Women. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> you are a space engineer. Yes. You've worked at places like the European Space Agency. Mm-hmm. You've worked all over the world. Why are you Rocket Women? Why Rocket Women? Yeah. I think it just embodies the space in a whole and just the power that I think working in space and working with such amazing people brings brings to the role. How did you get started with Rocket mm. Women? When did you start Rocket Women? I don't, yeah. know, don't even know if I know this, actually. Um, I started in 2012. Okay. So a few years ago now. Yeah. Um, so I was really inspired by these amazing accomplished women that I work with every day mm. in my career. So especially someone like Sunita Williams. And mm. so um, she's a um, South Asian American astronaut. And mm-hmm. so I think I was also really inspired by Sally Ride. And she said mm-hmm. something really mm-hmm. profound that you can't, you can't be it if you can't see it and I think that is just so inspiring and and so very true and so I started Rocket Women to really showcase these role models to show the next generation that they could be astronauts and the really exciting things that we're doing now is building up a new global team as well we've got team members in India mm-hmm. and Australia and the US and Canada and all throughout Europe so that's really amazing to see that global impact that we can have because space itself is such a global industry and so can anyone go to Rocket Women meet up then or do you have to be in the space no anyone can space come professional. absolutely anyone can, can come. be an aspiring space professional <laughs> if, if you yeah Ideally, if if you'd want to know about more about space, you can definitely come along. We can help you out. I've always loved space since I was young, and so I was really inspired by Helen Sharman, and she's oh. the first British um, astronaut. And so I remember being a six-year-old sitting in the library, um, so I found every book that I could about space, and I was reading <laughs> through um, the stories of space shuttle astronauts and NASA missions, and I saw an image of a woman with brown hair in a spacesuit, and, and she had a British flag on the arm, um, and the caption next to it said that this is Helen Sharman, and she's the first British astronaut. I still dream about being in space sometimes, although I have to say most the time I sleep so deeply that I don't remember most of my dreams but when I do um, yeah I do remember a, a kind of a dream where I'm 
floating along the space station and then I stop by a window and um, one of the other astronauts joins me and we just stay there and, and look out. Um, it, it feels like it was yesterday in some respects. And even at such a young age for me in that moment, um, I knew what I wanted to do when I was older and that yeah. was to be an astronaut. I wanted to be like Helen Sharman. So she really became a role model to me even that, at a young age and she showed me that my dreams are possible. So it was really inspired. She's super her. cool. She I is. I really like Helen. She She's so amazing. chill. Like she was the first Brit in space. She's yeah. been to space. Right. Shout out to you, Helen, if you're listening. And yeah. she's she is a wonderful person. But she goes to work every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm a bit like, if I went to space, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been over for all of you. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't have had anything else. Anyway, right. So Helen inspired she you. She did, yes. And so what was your journey to being yeah. the space engineer? I think one of the biggest challenges for me um, knowing that I wanted to do space was knowing how to get into the space industry okay. and so the only thing I knew when I was younger was to be an astronaut to get, to get into space and to work in the industry so I, mm. I printed out the NASA astronaut guidelines <laughs> and I glued these to, to the inside cover of my secondary school folder which nice. is a bit geeky they said you needed a degree in biology physics maths um, or engineering and so okay. I went to King's College London mm -hmm. and I studied um, maths and physics with astrophysics there so um, I started the course and in the end only three girls actually graduated from the course so the boys decided out of, I think it was around six or seven that started. It was a small course, but three, wow. gradu three girls graduated from um, mass physics and astrophysics that year. Um, so I'm a space engineer, um, one works as an astrophysicist um, and in science communication, and then one is a teacher in London um, to, to teaches physics to secondary school students, which is amazing. And so whilst I was at the uh, King's College, I learned about this really great organisation called UK SEDS. Okay. Um, and they're, the, they're called the UK Students for the Exploration and Development Space. So if you're interested in getting into the space industry, it's a great way um, to really get your foot in the door and learn more about the industry, especially in the UK. And it was really at UK SEDS that I met space engineers for the first time and met space professionals. Um, and when I was there, I learned about this other university called the International Space University. No way. Is it, is, like, is it international in space or? Well, I think they want to create a campus in space, yeah. I think is like the ultimate goal. But otherwise they're, they're <laughs> overselling it. Like, right. So but they're, they're a really great university. And so a lot of people haven't heard about it, but they're based in Strasbourg in France. Oh, OK. Yeah. So they have a master's course there. So mm -hmm. you can do master's in um, in space science and engineering or business or um, biology, whatever you'd like to do. Um, but they also have a summer course. So after I graduated, I went straight to do the nine-week space studies course they have during the summer. Okay. And that's really like an overall view of the space industry. So you right. learn about, um, like, learn from astronauts and space professionals and people working in commercial space flight. So you, you, you meet them day to day and you learn from them. You have lectures from them and you do team projects. So you have astronauts, you yes. have space engineers. What are some of the other things that people may not have heard of or may not have considered? So I, I like this idea of space business. Yeah, I think to work in the space industry, it's really important. You don't have to just be an engineer or a scientist. You can work in operations or you can work in um, finance or you can work in like social media or, or communications. And there's so many different avenues to work in the space industry. So pretty much anyone listening, if you're like a lawyer, you could be a space you lawyer. You can absolutely be a space yeah. lawyer. Yes. Space teacher. Space teacher. You're a space engineer. What do your parents mm -hmm. think of this? Do they fully understand what you do? 
I, I think they do at this point hopefully understand what I do to a degree. <laughs> um, so I was really lucky. So I knew I wanted to work in space and I was really, really passionate about it growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents took me to a science museum on weekends and to the National Space Centre in Leicester. Mm-hmm. Um, and like while they were trudging behind me, they were doing something called like increasing my science capital, which yes. is like the exposure of, of um, especially young girls to science, both in school and also in their everyday lives. So mm-hmm. it's like, could be anything like cooking as well at home to, to talking to scientists and engineers outside of school to meeting them at uh, events like New Scientist Live and other and other communication events, um, so they really they really supportive and encouraged me. Um, but my parents, but also my teachers as well. So when I was in year seven, I told my physics teacher, Mr. On Amy, and he said <laughs> I told him I wanted to work in NASA's mission control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but instead of laughing at me, he really supported and encouraged me. And then 12 years later, I was really lucky to work in Germany's answer to mission control in Cologne, mm. um, where I supported operations on board the space station. So I think my parents and my teachers, I think, knew a bit about space. But mm. um, I think coming especially from a South Asian background as well, mm. I think one of the big things, one of the biggest challenges that I had was really persuading my parents that space and engineering was a successful career, especially for a girl to do growing up. Um, so I actually originally applied for dentistry and then realised that was not what I wanted to do at all. <laughs> Although you could be a space dentist, right? I could have been. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too late for you to be it's a space not, dentist. It's not. But I worked as a dental nurse for a while as well, so I had that experience. Okay. But it was really helpful later on because I went on to work in like medical technology projects and the spacesuits and having that medical background and the biology background Ooh. was really useful okay. um, in the work I do now as well. So. Tell me about that though, because skin yeah. suit is, the big, is one of the big projects that you've mm-hmm. done loads, is one of the big projects you've worked on. When I was at... The International Space University, part of the master's course there, mm-hmm. is um, an internship. And so I was like, I hunted for a spacesuit project and most of them were at NASA and in the US. And mm-hmm. if you're not a US citizen, it's really hard to work on spacesuits there. And I've, I found one luckily at the European Space Agency in Germany. Um, and so it's called the Gravitational Loading uh, Countermeasure Skin Suit or just Skin Suit. And what it does <laughs> basically um, recreates the effect of gravity on the skeleton of an astronaut. So when an astronaut's in space on board the space station, they're usually there for around six months and in those six months um, they lose uh, two to three percent of their bone mass and also their muscle mass yeah yeah. because they're not in a um, being exposed to gravity and they also grow four to six centimeters in height so Anne McLean, who was a NASA astronaut, um, she just came back from the space station. She grew about five centimeters, and that's really painful for them as well. If you imagine, like, kind of stretching out. Oh yeah. Goodness. So we created a suit that would help prevent that spinal elongation to to help oh. the spinal health, and um, also to help so hopefully prevent that bone loss as well in space. So um, what it does, it essentially squeezes the astronauts from their shoulders all the way down to their feet in hundreds of stages. Okay. Um, and to do that, we use something called a bidirectional elastic weave, just because of the material and so the tension in that material actually mm-hmm. squeezes the astronaut um, and then recreates the effect of gravity on oh, their wow. skeleton to help prevent that bone mass, so the, the bone loss. And so it's been used on board the space station firstly by the Danish European Space Agency astronaut Andreas nice. which is really cool, um, and also recently by uh, Thomas Pesquet, who's the French European Space Agency astronaut for six months. And it was so amazing to see the spacesuit eventually being used to help astronaut, astronauts on board yeah, the space what's station. what's that like? Like yeah. your baby is out there, you know, <laughs> doing things. Yeah. in space it's like it's the ultimate reward I think actually um, and hopefully it will help also other other medical conditions on earth as well so hopefully there are there are hopefully um, ways that it can be kind of spun off and used on earth as well 
So what other things, as a space operations engineer, I think you were as well, what other things have you ended up working on, have you developed, and where do your ideas normally come from for these things? Yeah, I think they come from everywhere. Um, so I try and keep up to date on tech as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so recently been working based at the European Space Agency for a contracting company called Terma. Um, and so there I worked on the European Robotic Arm, and that's a new robotic arm that's going to be launched to the space station next year, which is really exciting. Okay. Um, and so on the space station, there are essentially like a US side and um, the US segment and there's the Russian segment. Okay. And so on the US side, you've got the Canada arm, which mm -hmm. you might have heard of, but on the Russian side, um, we're, we're going to install a new European robotic arm, mm -hmm. um, and that will help astronauts and cosmonauts carry out spacewalks and also install new parts of the space station as well. Uh, and an example of this you could see in the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock. Um, and she's basically sitting with her feet uh, in one end of the arm uh, while it's transporting her to, I can't remember, some, some ship or some station or some part of the station where she's performing some kind of work. It'll firstly help to install new parts of the space station. So it's being launched alongside a brand new Russian science module to the space station. So that will okay. increase the science capacity. Um, we're also looking at the space station, we're looking at tourism as well. So you could be a space tourist and uh -huh. buy a ticket to go to the space station if you really want to and you uh -huh. have um, <laughs> the availability. Um, when, when can we first depart for that one? <laughs> I think Sometimes next I year. I feel like I'm tired of this planet. <laughs> we can go next year. I think NASA just opened up um, their, their side of the station as well to tourism. So you can even go up and film a movie on the space station if you really want to. When are you going? I'd like to go at some point. Um, I think <laughs> it's really exciting now, I think, for the public because there are so many more commercial companies coming up. So there are mm. opportunities through companies such as Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin and they're sending um, the public to space through, I think, sometimes suborbital space flights as well. So it's basically when you don't go orbit around the Earth, but you actually experience microgravity okay. um, and then you come back down again. So like I think that's really affordable. Balloon things that we've seen. Right, yeah, yeah there's also a balloon, which is a hot air balloon. Time for a break. Send me a message using the hashtag, hashtag women take charge, and please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So things have moved on quite a lot then since the 60s. Or since maybe when you were younger or when Helen went up. Yes. In that there were all these things you had to do. There's the master's programs, the degrees, right. the training. The, you know, we all saw the BBC Two show. There's mm -hmm. like a lot. You have to mm -hmm. learn to swim which I would have never even thought was a thing. I can't swim, so I, I guess I can't go unless I go as a tourist. How do we get to that point where normal people can just go to space? By next year, Virgin Galactic are hoping to send their first flights um, to space with the public. So um, I think and, and from that, there's other companies such as Balloon, which are based in Barcelona. 
um, and also Blue Origin as well. And there's a multitude of companies around the globe that are hoping to send up the public. But will we need to go on a course to be able to holiday out yeah. there? Oh, you will. Okay. You will. So I think if you go, um, so right now you can go. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go with uh, our Russian colleagues. And so you need to train um, somewhere called Star City, which is in Moscow. So I think around about a year, a year or two, so depending on how long you want to go, to go for. On yeah, on, the on to the space station at least. But if wow. you want to go on a suborbital mission, so with Virgin Galactic or with a commercial company on a shorter mission, it's a much shorter period of time. So and how much does it cost? How much do I need to save? Um, I think so for Virgin Galactic, it's around 250000 So I have to save for a year Yeah. while I train for a you year. Do. <laughs> you guys are really expensive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is a house. house. Maybe yeah. not in London uh, <laughs> at the moment. But that, yeah, it's basically a house. But there are companies that are trying to create hotels as well in space. Really? Yeah, there's Axiom Space, which are trying to... So if we don't have the hotels at the moment and you do get the tickets to go up, how long yeah. are you there? Are you up for? Um, so you're up for probably... So we have Soyuz capsules going up every few months um, right now to the space station. So the way they do that is they come back every around three months. And so you come stay for around just less than two weeks, maybe. That's a holiday. Potentially right that's, now. That's, that's, that's around, like yeah, that's like a two-week holiday. So how old do you need to be then to go on, on this? things I, I, you've turned into mm. like space travel agent can you take um, a baby I, I would have to check i don't think you can't take a baby can you take a pregnant lady probably not right no, i think you have to, to pass anything. medical checks before you go can you take a grandma yeah i think so the average age of astronauts around is around in your 40s or 50s so um yeah you can definitely go i think um oh, the oldest astronaut that went was i think he was around 70 How far away do you think we are from having a baby, someone born in space? Um, I think we're quite far away. I think there's a lot of issues. So I think even to get to to Mars, we'll mm. need to um, look at uh, the, the, the physiological impacts of going into into deep space. And for radiation is a big problem right now. Okay. So we need to solve that as well. But also if you if a baby, if, you, if you've watched... There's a Mars, which is like a program by National Geographic. Mm. So they this came up in an episode of that recently as well. And so the problem is, if you were born on Mars, you wouldn't be able to ever really come back down to come back to Earth, um, because your body would be formed with a with that gravity in mind, and so it'd be an issue. So there's there's issues like that as well. What? Say yeah. that again. Well, it was in the program in Mars. It would be a problem to come back to Earth because you would be. I don't know the exact. And the, the physiology behind it, but I think it'd be an issue to come back just because of the gravity, the impact of Earth's gravity would have on your body and your skeleton. You would literally be an alien. You would. You'd be a Martian. No, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. How much does do things like sustainability play into what you're thinking? Um, I think when you're looking at Mars, it's something we need to think about because mm. there is a possibility for microbial life maybe on Mars, mm. maybe, but we haven't we haven't found any evidence of that. Um, so we do have something called planetary protection. So when we send yes. any um, any probes or any 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 missions to to Mars that will land on the surface, they are very strictly controlled as to um, their cleanliness and, and what kind of bacteria they mm. that are that are on board. Um, but when we go to the Moon, we're definitely going back and a sustainable way so we are currently planning so the global space agencies got nasa and esa are planning missions back to the moon so with the gateway which is the new space station in lunar orbit um we're also going to send lunar landers so 
um, Blue Origin have created a Blue Moon Lander, and that's going to go back and that will help cargo land on the surface of the moon. But we're also looking at using that water ice and those tons of water ice mm-hmm. and also oxides as well to create propellant and to create hydrogen oxygen so we have propellant to go to onwards to the moon yeah, yeah. It's onwards to deep space and to mars yeah. but also as um as water we need for for life as well so for the astronauts This is the Women Tech Charge podcast. And so we're all about women that are taking charge in these spheres. And you're taking charge in space. And so I think for me, so there's things like periods or there's things like using the loo. Mm. They were sending women up to space and they were like, oh, well, if you're going to be there that long, then we need to send you up with sanitary towels. Um, How many do you need? Like 200? Mm -hmm. And she kind of looked at them and was like, what, have you never met anyone that's ever had a period? Like, what what is that? Um, and the, but there's also things like not having spacesuits for women, and so right. the all female spacewalk that you wanted to do, you can't do mm-hmm. because the, we didn't have any more in the small size. Because when we made them originally, we didn't think we'd have as many small people, aka women. Mm-hmm. Sexism happens on Earth. If you take the humans to space, you're still going to have rubbish like that happening. Where do you see? the most change that's available to have or do you see any opportunities within all of this right to make things better for the industry for humankind yeah. like it's a big question i guess i think right now space is changing okay so nasa in 2013 um the 2013 nasa astronaut class was actually 50 percent male 50 percent female which is really great mm. and also that's the class that both christina cook and jessica Mir, who were on one board the space station and they were in that class and um, the 2017 class had five girls out of 12 astronauts that were selected and two of those were only 29 years old so if you think about it that's like 10 years between graduating from sixth form a college to becoming an astronaut, which I is really cool, which isn't yeah. that much time. That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, um, and a great example is um, Zena Kordman. And so when she was 29, she was doing her doctorate and she didn't know if she could become an astronaut. And she knew that she had like she had the um, science degree in her bachelor's and she had a master's degree and she was doing her doctorate. So she said she had maybe she met the basic um, requirements to become an astronaut, yeah. um, but she didn't know if she could actually make it. And so but she applied anyway. She said this, this would be a really cool experience no matter what. And she became an astronaut out of 18,000 applicants mm-hmm. um, that year that was chosen. So I think a great, a great um, piece of advice from her as well is really to find your passion and really persevere because you never know where you're going to end up. Um, I think, and also following a passion is really, really important no matter whether it's in space or any any other industry as well. I think that really shows. So I think if you really do what you're passionate about, you will enjoy it every day and actually do well at it as well. NASA, the NASA administrator recently said that it could be possible that the first two astronauts to go back to the moon could actually be two women. What is next? What would you like to create or make? Yeah. Um, so next, I think I'd really love to work on outreach projects I'm doing right now. So okay. I'm really passionate about that and mm-hmm. work on Rocket Women. But I think what's really exciting for anyone getting into the space industry now is that um, there's a ramping up of interest to go back to the moon. And so okay. um, right now, the European Space Agency is working with NASA and the Japanese Space Agency um, and the Canadian Space Agency. And they're developing a new space station which is going to be in orbit around the moon and that's mm. called the gateway okay. um, and so it's going to be in um, highly elliptical 
orbit and so um, in, by 2024 astronauts will be able to launch from um, using the space launch system which is a, a new rocket that NASA are building mm -hmm. to go to the gateway and be in lunar orbit and then by 2024 NASA are aiming to land humans back on the surface of the moon so they're aiming to land um, the first woman and the next man on the surface of the moon by 2024 and that's called the Artemis program 2024 yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, um, so we had the date, the date for our diaries. Really, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in the 60s, you had the Apollo program um, and you had the Apollo generation that watched the Apollo missions and the Apollo astronauts launch to the moon. And we were so inspired by that. And that's trickled down to this day. But I think just this generation, we're calling it the Artemis generation. So we're the generation that will be inspired by these amazing achievements and also be able to work on these fantastic goals as well. Um, and so I think, and Artemis is actually, in a Greek mythology, Apollo had a twin sister, and the twin oh. sister was called Artemis, which is why oh. NASA called it the Artemis yeah, program. Good, good yeah. And what kind of person do you think we need in the space industry? Um, I think we need everybody in the space industry. I think you, you need to also, it's really important to know that to work in the space industry you don't have to be a genius you don't have to I think especially like in engineering and science and space industry so it's good to know that there are those stereotypes somebody that works there that is is like is working in a hard hat and is in a lab coat and it's 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 not a solitary endeavor at all like I think the best thing about working in the space industry is that it's so global in nature and you get to travel and work with these amazing people from all around the world so your team could be composed especially at the European Space Agency with someone from the UK and Canada mm. and Romania and Italy and so you've got these amazing cultural interests as well and these cultural um, backgrounds that are going into these projects um, so I think that's one of the best things about working there. And you've had to learn all those, a couple of those languages to be able to then work across space. Um, you learn words from languages, yeah. <laughs> so have intercultural understanding, maybe learn a couple of languages, yeah. and then add space on the beginning of your title. You could do that. And that that's it. I think you could definitely come and join the space industry and be a rocket woman. Be a, be a rocket woman who takes charge. Do you believe in aliens? Um, I believe there's probably something out there. I think the universe is just so vast and there's so many possibilities that it's, I hope there is life out there. Thank you so much, Thank you. Thank you, Emery. I mean, thanks for talking space. I learned a lot on that. I mean, not that Good. I don't always learn a lot, but we learned a lot about space. And I think I'm ready to be a space demet to be a space speaker be a space podcast host <gasps> you could do we that we should record a podcast from space thank you very much Benita. thank you <laughs> thanks Emery this is Women Tech Charge subscribe and rate wherever you get your podcast